All right, everyone, we're back here with another Behind the Scrubs Friends of Medicine podcast episode. Today, we are covering money and medicine. It's a very exciting topic that I think a lot of our viewers have been waiting to hear. I have some amazing experts here on the panel this evening to discuss their experience in the finance world and how they help us in the healthcare profession deal with issues that arise throughout our careers from the time we enter medical school, nursing school, dentistry school, right through training into the mid and end of our careers into retirement and what are some of the things that we need to be focusing on as young professionals to set ourselves up for success so i'm the founder of friends of medicine i'm andre coombs i'm a trauma surgeon here in miami florida and i'm proud to introduce some of these experts in finance to our community of healthcare professionals in friends of medicine and beyond and I'm going to say thank you to our sponsor, Impact Wealth Advisors, and I will let Dave Duquette start off the introductions today. Dave? Excited to be here, Andre. Thank you for having me. So I'm Dave Duquette, financial advisor and the president of Impact Wealth Advisors. Thank you so much for having us. And a little bit about what you do and the spectrum of financial advice that you give to professionals. Yes, I work with everybody from residency through retirement. And I'd say the vast majority of my clients are in the medical community. My wife is a orthopedic physician assistant. So I've been working in this community for over a decade now. And it's, you know, I'd love to see what you're doing and the impact that you're having on the medical community. So kudos to you. Thank you very much. You know, we met about a year or so ago, or yeah. just over a year. And so far, the impact, no pun intended, that you've had on our group has been really great. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to come here and uh, sharing some of your knowledge with us. Thank you. Yep. You're welcome. And we have Pedro, a very good friend of mine and a new member of the Friends of Medicine community here with us today to share some of his knowledge. Pedro, you want to introduce yourself? Thank you, Andre. Oh, Dr. Coombs. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed the play with words with impact just in a second ago. That was great. Um, so... Pedro Rojas, I'm the president and founder of Platon Advisors. We are a growth advisory agency for the practice industry or outpatient clinics. Everything that we do, it's just focused on the growth of these clinics, and we are 100% focused in the healthcare industry. So you focus more on physician practices that either want to acquire or sell, that kind of that kind of Absolutely. Thing? That is part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, the greatest bulk of our business is uh, understanding when somebody or some group is trying to grow and the fastest way for them to grow is through acquiring some of their competitors. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we also help them with management services. We also help them improve their contract strategy and positioning and as well doing just uh, mundane activities like a building, coding, HR, legal. We help them with a one-stop shop for them. And at the end of the episode, we're going to leave all the links at the bottom where you guys can click and see the work that these young professionals in finance are doing for us in the healthcare field and how you can find them and reach them, okay? Hyacinth, yeah. welcome. One of our new members of the Friends of Medicine community. Yes, You look lovely you. today. Thanks thank for you. joining us. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. So my name is Hyacinth Henderson. Where am I looking? Anyway, Hyacinth Henderson. The name of my firm is the Henderson Financial Group. I am the co-CEO of the Henderson Financial Group. We do full-service financial planning and investment advisory. And I'm the money and mindset lady. I love talking about mindset, getting to the root of some of your money decisions and going deep. 
what I do. Thank you for having me. I love that. You know, Hyacinth has just recently joined Friends of Medicine community and she's brought such spice and activity to the group chat and, you know, always sharing amazing articles with us. So we appreciate you being a part of us. Thank you. Anthony, my man. Yes, sir. How's it going? How you doing? My name is Anthony Vinaki and my company is called Deliver Capital. What I do is I figure out every single creative way to get you guys as much money as possible, either to grow or start your businesses. We're connected with over 500 banks nationwide, and I've been doing this for over 20 years in the finance industry, and I help people either optimize their credit profiles, their financial profiles, so that every bank will say yes when you go and apply so that you can really start your dreams. Thank you. I know I have a personal story with Anthony that I want to share that, you know, I was in a slum with the Friends of Medicine organization with funding and I really didn't know where to turn. And uh, Anthony introduced me to some opportunities to get that funding really, really quickly. And I would like to share his expertise with my community because, you know, it helped me so greatly. And that's part of what Friends of Medicine is all about, you know, mm -hmm. finding professionals and the who's in your network that can help you in times of need and also in times of growth because sometimes you have great opportunities but you don't know how to get to the next level so it's not just in times where you're suffering or struggling financially it's it's when you actually want to go to the next level and grow we need professionals that know how to do it so that you don't lose in the long run so having said that i would like to start by saying you know Life as a healthcare professional is very linear in terms of you go to medical school, you go to residency, you go to fellowship if you're a physician, and then you start your own practice or you work for a group or a hospital. You may do some travel activities, some like locums. And for the nurses, it's a similar path. They go to nursing school. They may or may not want to do bedside nursing, administrative care or they may decide to do the nurse practitioner route crna work in the operating room so it's pretty set in terms of what happens next and there's a lot of studying a lot of time and sacrifice of your life that goes into becoming one of us in this career and we tend to forget not necessarily forget but don't have the time to dedicate towards learning and educating ourselves about personal financing and business financing so when we get to that point where we want to open a practice or you know contract negotiation if we want to join a practice or a hospital system we rely on professionals like yourself to guide us and sometimes that guidance is not there or we get poor advice so what we want to do as a community is bring those professionals like yourselves that have helped us along the way and have a track record reliable and you have the experience and expose you to our wider audience and there's lots of folks like you out there but all of you have a personal connection to me and i trust each and every one of you and your advice and that's why i wanted you guys to come on the show today and share that with our audience and i really appreciate you for that of course thank you so when we get into med school we incur a lot of debt you know student loans and you know you hear a lot about you know there's a lot of politics behind paying off student loans now also it's a big topic and we have some medical students in the audience here and uh, we have a couple questions from the medical students i have one written down here that pertains to the um the whole paying off student loans and advice with regards to that 
But then after medical school, we go into residency and we incur more debt because now, even though we're getting paid, we're not getting paid as much and you have to find somewhere to live, you know, you're buying a car, you might want to get married and have a wedding, etc. So the debt piles up. And then after residency, there's fellowship. Or if you finish with nursing school, you go into a CRNA or a nurse practitioner and there's more debt, there's more education, etc. So you find you spend 10, 15 years of training and then you come out without any knowledge or financial foundation. Then you either continue down a path of debt or reckless spending because now you're exposed to a higher income and you don't know what to do with it. Or you can find a professional that can guide you along that way. So I'm going to let Dave start off with giving us some advice on what a medical student can do to set themselves up for success financially from the moment they start medical school right through their training. Like what advice do you have from med student that came to you and said, hey, Dave, just got into med school and, you know, I, I see a lot of my seniors and my attendings struggling and they're in a lot of debt and they're telling me, don't do it, don't do it. You know, what do you have to say to those students that are afraid of the financial burden that they're, that they're facing going into medical school or nursing school? Yeah, so Andre, it's a great question. And <clears throat> I think oftentimes medical students get overwhelmed with the amount of debt that they're taking on because it is significant, right, to get through medical school. And I think the worst thing or worst mistake that people can make is getting too stressed out or getting too anxious about that student loan debt. It's not bad, bad debt if you finish medical school. <laughs> if you don't finish medical school, it's pretty bad debt, right? That becomes awful, awful debt, but not all debt is created equal. So having that degree that is going to generate hundreds of thousands of dollars in the future for you, just an annual income potential, right? It's a, it's a business decision, right? So as business owners, we would all look at debt differently. Like we, we would take on debt, especially if we knew that it was going to generate more income for us in our business in the future. But there's no guarantee for business owners to do that. Whereas in that specialty degree, right, that MD or that DO, right, you then can go in and, and make significant money with that particular degree. So focusing too much on not being able to save money, not being able to invest or plan for retirement when you're in med school is too much on your plate. Focus on finishing med school. There's a couple of small things you could do, of course. It, limit your expenses. If you can live at home, great. If you can have a, several roommates to reduce the exposure to your large expenses so that you don't have to max out your student loans, that can help in the long run. But at the end of the day, your focus should be solely on school. Good. Hi, Synth, you've worked with some um, young professionals also. Have you encountered any medical students or nursing students? Yes, yes. And just a veggie back, no piggybacking. And a mm. veggie back. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> just like a veggie back off of Dave's wonderful wisdom and advice. I agree. You should focus on your focus. Like you're going to be a doctor. You're never going to be without work or poor, so to speak. And when I say poor, I'm going to use this word a lot. When I speak, I mean passing over opportunities repeatedly. Poor. So when you hear passing that. over opportunity. Oh, I like yeah. that. I like that. Yeah. So don't, don't like she's calling me poor. If you're passing over opportunities repeatedly, <laughs> maybe you're poor. But to, to, to Dave's point, focusing on 
medical school and looking at debt as an investment in this space and time in your life is important while also thinking about how you're going to handle debt. Because we don't want you to kick the can of debt down the road because there is something that is always going to be with you. It's sneaky and it's called interest. And it doesn't say hi, doesn't pay any bills. Actually, it adds to the bills. And so while you may take out $100,000 in debt, if you continue to kick that can down the road and not address it, then interest is going to be waiting on you at the door like, hey, hey, girl, hey, I'm here, right? So I like to tell people, let's do look at debt one of two ways. First of all, ask yourself if you're going to pay off debt immediately. If that's going to be your goal, right, then you fall in that bucket where I'm going to pay my debt off immediately. And that means when I graduate from medical school and go into residency and then from residency, go into attending. Right. I knew it was an A. I don't know why Mm -hmm. apprentice attending. Then is debt going to be my priority and paying off my debt? If so, then you fall into that bucket. The other bucket I like to ask people to think about is Are you someone who's going to pay the lowest payment possible, income-based repayment, with the expectation that you will have your debt forgiven? And so there are lots of programs that allow physicians to have their debt forgiven. Of course, you have to work at certain places, public health, things like that. But you get to pick a side, right? Notice one of the sides of the coin is not ignoring debt. One of the sides of the coin is not vilifying your debt. One of the sides of the coin is not saying just forget about it. It's either I'm going to pay it off as soon as possible or I am going to pay the lowest payment possible and then get it forgiven and look at your debt to Dave's point as an investment. You are investing in your future. That's my take on that. I love that. So the medical students in our audience have sent us a couple questions and we'll address (laughs) these systematically. And I think you touched on a couple of these points also, Hyacinth. So one here is most medical students do not have jobs. What's the best way to invest for someone like me who has little to no income and is borrowing money from the government to survive? Should a medical student be investing or thinking about investing? Or should they just focus on finishing medical school as a priority? You go first. I go second. Yeah, so it it depends. And a lot of... Assuming what we're going to talk about is it depends answer, unfortunately. I also, sorry to cut you, Dave, but I also want to emphasize the point here that she's making that they come out of this in their late mid 20s to early 30s. So in their mind, they're late to the game, you know, and they're not and they're still in school. Yes. Yeah, they're they're not late to the game, right? It's uh, one of those things where in all reality, you don't need to invest while you're not making any money. There are no get rich quick schemes. Just doesn't exist, right? So a lot of people, I would say, got caught up in the crypto phase. And it's not that crypto is bad or good or anything like that. It's just, I'm sure we've seen it all, right? Where they thought, if I just go and buy X, Y, and Z crypto, I'm going to become rich. And they were leveraging whatever they could in order to invest in that. And just don't get caught up in in any of that. While you're in med school, your focus should be on med school, not investing. You'll be able to make up that difference because in all reality, your income in your 30s will be typically significantly higher than most people that just have a simple bachelor's degree that are trying to go out there and find an income that will be equivalent to a physician or 
a PA or, you know, a nurse practitioner, CRNA, you name it, mm-hmm. right? You can make up that difference with that additional income and being able to be efficient and productive with your savings. Yes. So don't get overwhelmed with thinking you're behind. You're not. Right. You have plenty of time to catch up. And quite frankly, you don't have income to invest. Now, if you have a spouse making decent money while you're going through school, that's the caveat. You may have the ability to, as a couple, start to put money away and be efficient with that planning. Mm -hmm. But that depends on that additional income, of course. Right, right. That's very important. I think another aspect of this is developing habits early on in your career, even as a med student, as as early on as being in medical school, develop habits like paying off your credit card on time, developing good credit history, etc. And I think Anthony and I have had a lot of discussions over the last, I don't know, six months about the importance of maintaining a good credit history. And I want Anthony to give us a few words of advice when it comes to credit and an ability to get funding for some bigger projects that you may have when you come out of training like you know opening a practice or what, what do you have to say about about credit and I think credit is one of the number one things you need to preserve and understand if all goes down you can always rely back on your credit to be able to pick yourself back up if it helps you buy you know time resources access and understanding how your credit works, the mechanics, right? The different ways of how to strengthen it, how to increase, you know, the, the total overall you know, limits. Mm-hmm. When it comes time to take advantage of an opportunity, and if you're not born with a silver spoon or have, you know, a rich family, so to speak, then what do you do? You either have a project and you, ask investors to invest into you or you can leverage the banks to invest into your project Mm -hmm. and you have a good enough plan you can generate wealth very very quickly but it all starts with credit and then the next thing that we look at is your financials and the strength of that and there's all these different programs for either startups if you don't have any revenue um, and especially with doctors if you have that medical license for some reason i know that the reason is very low risk because of the amount of money you guys can make by having that license is very low risk for these banks. And so you can graduate college in a matter of one or two years of your seasoning of, of your residency, et cetera. And then you can acquire a business or start a business within one or two years after graduate. They'll, the bank will give you anywhere from a half a million to three quarters of a million to start your practice if that's something necessary. But again, if you have bad credit, then you're a low risk factor. And so that then just your credit is like your resume mm-hmm. and if you don't pay your your creditors on time it shows your history your behavior right so why would they want to work with you if you don't know so there's all these different mechanisms in these yeah i mean i've experienced that myself you know one or two no more than two missed payments i don't know a credit card got stolen it was an auto pay and i forgot never got the emails i'm busy at work and then you get a, a letter from the debt collectors and then you and then you see your credit score dropped 100 points and you're like oh my god what is happening and you don't know what to do who to turn to and that follows you for years seven years basically yeah and you know you can't you feel handicapped you can't do anything pedro 
how does credit impact on someone looking to buy or sell a practice when they're in like mid-career you know they're a family physician office and they want to you know expand or, or sell retire how does their personal credit impact that actual decision so just as anthony just mentioned uh, credit is your resume for who's going to provide you with the capital which in in this case uh, in the united states mostly how entrepreneurs get their first round of capital is through the sba or Therefore, now, for those who don't know, that's the Small Business Association. Small exactly. Business, small business Association. Okay. So basically, okay. these are funds from the federal government that they are allocated to mm -hmm. provide to entrepreneurs so they can grow their business, jump started, or even taking it out from bad situations. Right. So how does the credit impact this? If you have a bad credit, you will not be able to apply for one of these loans. So you can take that opportunity off the table. Mm -hmm. Now, you have to have a pretty bad credit to not qualify at all for this, but it happens. You know, as uh, you will mention, you only had two or three instances that uh, there were not malicious at all. You mm -hmm. forgot to pay the bill right. one or twice, once or twice, and suddenly your credit dropped 100 points. Right. But even if you get it back up to like almost 800, it's still impacting you. It's still impacting you. This history. Exactly. <laughs> so as uh, Anthony mentioned, this is uh, something that is extremely important. Right. To keep an eye on and to be able to constantly improve it. It's one of these things that if you don't work on it, it's going to decline. Right. So if you want to have a business, if you are looking to go into the entrepreneurship route or if even if you just want to have different side hustles, your credit score is going to be a pretty important subject mm -hmm. that you need to pay attention to. Right. I think it also impacts also when you're trying to get a loan, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, and you don't have enough of a track record of income, monthly statements, etc., and they, the banks or the lenders have nothing to go off. So they look at your personal credit to leverage whether you're high risk or low risk. Is that correct? That is correct. So, so the most, probably the best thing a medical student or a resident or a nursing student or early in your career you can do for your financial success or your future is to start building these healthy habits and, you know, keeping your credit history healthy, more or less. We've seen people come out of school with zero credit history so they've never owned a credit card they've right. never had a auto loan they've never had any loans themselves and it's a maybe an evil system i don't necessarily know but you have to have lines of credit in order to build credit right mm -hmm. so never taking on debt never it's opening a credit card a good thing actually either. isn't a good thing to build your credit i think this applies to some of our foreign medical grads i myself was a foreign medical grad when i got to the u.s i don't know 14 years ago maybe <laughs> and um you know i didn't have a credit card i didn't own a car or anything at the time i didn't have a credit history and i was like you know what i don't want any debt i don't want any credit cards but then later on when you realize that you need you know a loan for x y and z that really really does impact it so not not all of us know this coming into this healthcare system or into the U.S. financial system. So that's actually a very good point you made. It's a good thing that you can do for your kids too. Yeah. Is actually put them on your credit card even when they're a teenager and you know they can 
put the gas expenses on a credit card and start to build credit that early. It's called an authorized user. Yeah. Right. Yes. And be responsible. So oftentimes people say credit is bad. Your use of credit is what makes it good or bad. So I like to tell my clients when they forward their credit scores, like I have this 800 score and I don't want to use it. I don't want to do anything with it. I tell them that if you have credit that you are afraid to use, it is almost like trying to convince someone that you are a good driver, but you never leave the house. Your car is only parked in the driveway mm, like and you that. never leave the house, right? And so how do I know that you're a good driver? You have a car, but you never drive it anywhere. I don't know if you're able to maneuver through traffic, if you are a defensive driver. I don't know all these things. And oftentimes people shy away from credit because they have been told or taught that credit is bad and not to get into credit, not to take out credit but the reality of it is, is you need to show someone that you can drive. And this is very important because when you attempt to buy a house, you're going to come to someone and say, I want you to loan me $500,000. Nobody else has ever loaned me a dollar or a dime because I have nothing on my credit, but I want you to loan me $500,000. How do they know your ability to repay the credit? How do they know your ability to handle this type of debt? They don't. And so when you think about credit in that way, I'd like to tell my clients also to understand that your credit report tells the story without you opening your mouth. Someone can take, here's my social, here's my date of birth. I don't have to tell you anything about me. Pull my credit report and they're either going to, hey, yes, what do you need? I can give you everything you need. Or they're gonna be like, get her out of here immediately, <laughs> right? So when you think about your credit report in that way, then you can be a better steward over your credit, managing your debts, being very choosy about what you go into debt to buy, because there's something that is called the price versus the cost. So when we use our credit cards and we look at the price of something and it may be a hundred bucks, maybe it's a vacation to wherever we want to go and it's 1500 bucks. If we are not in a position to pay that down, the price tag may have been $1,500 or that shirt may have been $250. But by the time you pay it off, it may have cost you two or four times that. And that's something that's very important that medical students, residents attending can take, keep in mind throughout your entire journey. So it's like, okay, let me find the dance. Credit is not bad, but I'm not going all the way to the deep end either. Let me go ahead and give a little something that they can, some actionable tasks that they can do. So this is what I like to call the perfect credit program, perfect credit formula and how to get to an 800 credit score. Mm -hmm. So there's four different types of accounts where we call them trade lines. You have a revolving account, like a credit card installment, which could be either cash loans or something that you take and pay over, over time. Those are typically your unsecured family, right? A credit card, if you, if you don't pay it, they can't come after you and take something away from you. It's unsecured. Mm -hmm. Then you have your secured family, which is your auto and your mortgage. So those are the four different types of accounts that, that exist. You should have, a, you know, this is what I like to coach, have a list, a minimum around three to five credit cards. Because the stronger your, your credit profile, the more it will help you actually two years ahead of the road because of the history. So the next second of that is your age factor. So the longer of establishment, the higher the score goes up. 
So everything in finance is a law of two. Two years minimum accounts, two years of age, two years of tax returns, two, two, two. It will follow you with the law of two. Know what you want to do two years ahead of road. And so the next part of that is called your credit utilization. So if you have a credit card with a $10,000 limit, do not go over $3,000, which is essentially a 30% utilization. So that 30% utilization, if you go above that, then it starts to be affect, you start to become a more of a higher risk factor. Actually coming directly from FICO, from when the FICO scoring system, a one to 6% utilization on your credit report will give you a higher score, even if you paid it off at 0%. So if you paid it off and you have a 1% balance, it actually gives you a higher credit score. Don't ask me why. <laughs> Just the, it comes directly from FICO. Your next is your payment history. So no lates, collection, charge-offs, bankruptcies. All this can stay on your credit report for about 7 to 10 years. So what I like to say is be systems dependent, not human dependent. Put everything on auto pay. So if you go on vacation for a month, if you forgot to make that one credit card payment, your score, as you said, will go down 100, 100 points. Guilty. Or you're a surgeon and you are focused on saving people's lives. And the last thing that you're, you're going through is, did I forget to make that one payment? So mm-hmm. just get that out of your mind. Just be, be dependent on that. Right. And last but not least is your credit inquiries. So the rule of thumb is no more than six inquiries per six months. If you have any more, you can get denied regardless of what your scores are. Hmm. Interesting. So every every inquiry could be worth ten thousand, or it could be worth a hundred thousand. And are we talking personal and business law? It, that that rule matter? doesn't matter if it's business or personal. Okay. It's just a rule of thumb. So every six months. So the the next tier is is twelve months of age and after 12 months it doesn't really have an impact on, on your credit report mm-hmm. but just for perceptions and sakes but this is kind of the hygiene of what you need to follow like a roadmap mm-hmm. and by having that it will it will really increase your, your credit score i'll give you a real quick example about four or five years ago i had about a 650 660 credit score i took out a forty-five thousand dollar personal loan and i bought a car it was like 50 or sixty thousand dollars and i Required maybe like four or five different credit cards. My score went from a 650 all the way to an 800 in a year and a half. Just because now the credit bureaus have data and information, your payment history. Now there's strength. I say you should have a minimum around thirty to fifty thousand dollars in limits or exposure on your credit, which is really contradictory. If your family says, "Look, debt is bad," right. you know, do not get that. If you can't pay for it in cash, then don't do it. That's not the right way, in my opinion, of how to things. As for what you were saying, is that you need to establish, you know, history where, when the opportunity comes and you need to use your credit, and you don't, and you haven't built it, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Anthony, quick question: People often ask, should they close a credit card that they haven't used in Absolutely a long time? Not. That's what now, I mean. now there there is a, a another flip side to that. I try to avoid some of these really was like credit one first progressive a lot of these these type of cars that are really small they're, they're, they're really small credit. and they're, they're not they're not the greatest there's other ways of actually building your credit though so if you started out and you have two three four of these different accounts and then that helped build your, your credit profile you follow the perfect credit formula for an example 
and now your score has gone up. And now you can qualify for what we call the tier one cards. The Bank of America is the Chase, Wells, Citibanks. Tier twos are your American Express, your Discovers, you know, TD Bank, etc. And when you have about, you know, let's just say seven, eight, nine of these tier one, tier two cards, then you don't need those credit ones, which is actually a tier four. It actually dings you coming straight from FICO, actually. And so these are the furniture, like oftentimes you get a zero percent to buy your not, furniture do, for your new home. Do not home. go to your, your Macy's and get yeah. your Gap or Victoria's Secret kind of credit cards. You would stay away from those. Okay. Those are your tier fours. And the, and the whole psychology behind that is that when you're asking a bank to, hey, I'm trying to buy a business or, or another existing practice, it's cash flowing, and then that buying that business is going to make me a lot more money, et cetera. When an underwriter is looking at your profile, your credit report, are you the type of person that's going to, you know, Gap, Macy's, you know, all these different low, synchrony bank, all these tier four accounts, or are you the person who is a Bank of America? a city, an American Express, you have these high quality accounts on your credit report. That can make a decision, that can make a, a shift in somebody's perception on the kind of character that you are. And as what you're saying, all of it is, is just numbers. But the numbers of your financials and your credit tells a story about your behavior, your buying pattern, and, and how that was. And that can make a difference between that. So at that point where you have a 750, 800 credit score, then you can close those old ones, even though it might be your oldest account, which is a factor in the perfect credit formula. But when you can get when you can get away from it, if you have to, if you have your seven to ten, you can afford closing out some of those older ones. That'll only ding you a couple of points for a little bit, and then it'll depends the on the rest on, of your history. The, should the, yeah, so like you should be for an example, like what, what I always teach is every one three six months, you want to call your credit card companies and ask for a credit limit increase. Mm -hmm. My God, I have this new project that I'm listening in. My business is doing very well. Can I get an increase for you? But only do it as a soft inquiry. So, you know, you want to avoid a hard, because a soft inquiry will not do your credit. It's just like you go to Credit Karma and you, you look at your credit. That's a soft inquiry. So by doing that, by strengthening, if you have enough strength, then you can afford closing those other smaller accounts. Yeah. Make sense? I, I love the analogy of the resume. It basically is your resume. Correct. Wow, guys, this is some great information here. I hope you're learning as much as I am. I think we're, we're going to close off this first segment on the medical student, nursing student, resident segment of a career with one more question from one of our audience members. Okay, so we have a question here from one of our surgery residents, and it states, once I am an attending, how should I pay off my loans? Do I pay them off as soon as I can or do I just continue the minimum monthly trek does it even matter well it depends on what you're trying to accomplish in the next one to five years of your life right so oftentimes in that first several years of practice your life is changing significantly it could be obviously you're wanting to settle in and maybe buy your first forever home right which you may be in there for you know five to ten years but that's a big decision. Now, there are the physician loans where you don't necessarily need a down payment, which helps. But like we were just talking about, you need to furnish that place and that can cost a fortune. You also may be getting married, which costs a lot of money. You may be having children, which costs a lot of money. And those are decisions that you're not going to push off. 
So this whole live like a resident for the first five to 10 years so that you can get rid of all of your debt sounds great in practice, but in reality, it's very difficult for the vast majority of people when they have major decisions like having children. They're not going to push that off until they pay off all of their student loans in all reality. So I think the best decision is to figure out where you're going to work, right? So there, there may be policies that help you or programs that help you pay off your loans if you're working for a nonprofit. And then I like to call it hoarding cash. You need to focus on building your balance sheet and hoarding cash because there are going to be great opportunities that present themselves, potentially buying into a practice, buying into a surgery center that can increase your income significantly that will enable you to easily pay off that student loan. So you could limit the minimum payment and then every six months decide, "I've, I've hoarded all this cash. What do I want to do with it? Okay, is there a business decision to take advantage of? Is there a marriage I'm <laughs> a wedding I'm paying for? Or are we about to have a or child <laughs> or a divorce and I need to do hey, this? Happens. That yeah. happens. I don't too. think you plan it for a divorce though. You, know, <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Right? But you, you have all lawyers. these decisions. <laughs> and if you've hoarded all that cash, and let's say there's nothing really going on, now you can make a, a big lump sum payment to the thing, higher right? interest loan. Mm-hmm. Right? You can apply one payment to the higher interest loans potentially, and and really have a game plan like that. But you want to have the boardroom like we're sitting with right now to make sure that they're analyzing your situation because we're all emotional about our own money. Mm -hmm. And having one of our major benefits of our job is we're not emotional with our clients' money. We're able to look at the fact pattern, understand what their situation is, and provide that advice just like physicians are for their patients right? I'm sure you're not sitting there going, you're morbidly obese, but I know you just, you love chocolate. So just keep eating it. Right. Right. No, you need to have that, you know, discussion with them to make sure that they're doing the best thing for them. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Wow. We are inside the boardroom of behind the scrubs and we're getting some great information on personal finances. And I think we're going to wrap up this first segment. The next segment, we're going to focus more on you know, you've just started your career, mid-career, you want to buy into a practice, a surgery center. Towards the end of your career now, what do you do for retirement purposes? You know, you want to sell your practice. You know, what do you do with all this investment opportunities that have come your way throughout your career? So, you know, that part, I think Pedro will be able to help us guide us a bit more on also. And uh, you guys can feel free. Visit our website, www.friendsofmed.com check out all the resources that we have to assist you in whatever aspect of your career you're in from med student nursing student to the very end of your careers visit us on instagram friends underscore of underscore medicine and you know we're going to come back soon and talk about the mid to end career and talk to our advisors more a little bit about how we can maximize our finances throughout this healthcare profession i'm dave duquette the founder and president of impact wealth advisors We're thrilled to be a part of Friends of Medicine and the wonderful work being done to create an impact in the medical community. Impact Wealth Advisors is a comprehensive financial planning firm that specializes in helping medical professionals alleviate the unique stress that revolves around their financial life. Medical professionals typically face challenges such as six-figure student loan debt, high tax rates, lawsuit risks, and delayed savings in retirement planning. However, 
With the planning process offered by Impact Wealth Advisors, clients can go to work, come home, enjoy time with friends and family without stressing about whether or not they're making the right decisions for their future. We offer a complimentary consultation that can be scheduled by scanning the QR code. If you're a medical professional seeking financial planning assistance, Impact Wealth Advisors is the perfect solution to help you navigate the unique challenges of your profession and can help you work to secure your future.